Welcome to The Markets, Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, January 24th. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, taking a look at another tumultuous week in the marketplace. As a matter of fact, I've said this for the past 18 months, but I continue to say it. You can't talk markets on Wall Street or in the agricultural markets without mentioning China. But this week, it's for a different reason than the trade dispute. This week, markets on Wall Street and at the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange all impacted by the disease in China. Today, Wall Street fell in a broad sell-off as investors fled the equity market on the growing concerns over the scope of coronavirus outbreak, and it capped the S&P 500's worst week in six months. All of this coming after the S&P 500 set a new record high again this morning when the trade opened, but that quickly changed. All three major U.S. stock averages turned uh, sharply negative, with the S&P 500 seeing its biggest one-day percentage drop in over three months after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention confirmed the second case of the virus on U.S. soil, this time in Chicago. S&P 500 and the Dow wrapped up their worst week since August, and the Nasdaq snapped a six-week winning streak. Market participants kept a wary eye on developments surrounding the coronavirus, which the World Health Organization deemed an emergency in China, having now killed 26 people, but that count is going up daily, and infecting more than 800 on the eve of the Lunar New Year's holiday in China. David Carter, investment officer at Lennox Wealth Advisors in New York, said markets hate uncertainty, and the virus has been enough to inject uncertainty in the markets. But some analysts believe the investors were looking for a reason to take money off the table. Another investor said the virus is really more an excuse to take profits right now. And another analyst said the markets are expensive and we're looking for a reason to go down and the virus is the excuse to do it. Intel stock climbed 8% today after reporting jumps in data center and cloud computing revenue and forecasting better than 2020 earnings. Consumer credit company American Express a strong U.S. retail sales environment, posting a better-than-expected 9% annual revenue increase. American Express stock up 2.8% for the day. Fourth quarter reporting season well underway with 74 companies in the S&P 500 having having, uh, reported 68% of which have beaten Wall Street estimates. And analysts now expect earnings to have contracted by just half a percent on aggregate in the October to December quarters. 
It's not just the U.S. where this uh, uh, coronavirus situation is having an impact today because global markets are also down. The stock market in the United States and in other markets and crude oil prices fell sharply as investors moved into safe haven assets amid concerns that a spreading virus from China would curb travel and hurt economic demand. Then uh, we take a look at uh, some of the other impact today. Crude prices sank more than 2%. Brent logged its biggest weekly decline in more than a year again, Concerns over the coronavirus spreading farther in China and it's now being found, since it is so easy to travel throughout the world, it's being found in the European Union and other countries as well. And uh, as we said, the death count goes up daily. But Brent crude futures settled today at $60.69 a barrel, down a $1.35. And the global benchmark fell 6.5% this week. That's the biggest weekly loss since December of 2018. U.S. crude futures ended at $54.19 a barrel, dropping $1.40 today or 2.5% and clocking a 7.5% weekly decline. That's the largest decline in, uh, well, since July 19th. And uh, experience with previous outbreaks such as SARS in 2003 and MERS from 2012 suggests the economic impact overall of an epidemic is relatively small. However, hedge fund positioning in Oil has become lopsided with bullish positions outnumbering bearish ones, leaving the market vulnerable to any disappointing news. So let's look ahead to uh, next week and uh, see what we are looking forward to. Earnings report season, of course, there'll be a lot of activity, but the U.S. Federal Reserve scheduled to hold a two-day monetary policy meeting starting Wednesday. Central Bank is expected to leave its benchmark overnight lending rates in the current target range between one and a half and one and three quarters percent when it announces its decision on Thursday. Markets will work through another spate of economic figures that include GDP data and weekly jobless claims numbers on Thursday, durable goods and consumer confidence data on Tuesday, consumer spending on Friday. The Commerce Department, in its first estimate of fourth quarter GDP, is expected to show the country's economy expanded at a 2.1% annualized rate. Overall, orders for durable goods are forecast to have rebounded a half a percent in December after falling 2% in November. And the number for initial claims for state unemployment benefits likely stood at 215,000 for the week ended January 25th, and we'll get that report on Thursday. 
Then, in addition to all that, there is a slew of Dow 30 companies reporting results next week. Apple expected to report an increase in its first quarter revenue on Tuesday, powered by higher sales of new iPhone models, AirPods, and Apple Watches. Microsoft Corporation will report quarterly earnings on Wednesday. Boeing Company scheduled to report quarterly earnings on Wednesday. The plane maker likely to have recorded charges worth billions of dollars in the fourth quarter because of the grounding of its once best-selling aircraft, the 737 MAX, and that's likely to stretch until the middle of 2020 before that airplane starts flying again. Burger chain McDonald's expected to report higher fourth quarter same-store sales growth, likely powered by its breakfast offerings. Caterpillar will release its fourth quarter earnings in pre-market reports on Friday. The world's largest heavy equipment maker expected to report lower earnings, hurt by uncertainty caused by the U.S.-China trade war that has slowed down machine sales. Oil majors ExxonMobil and Chevron scheduled to release their quarterly results for the fourth quarter on Friday. Chemicals maker Dow Incorporated expected to post a profit for the fourth quarter and report revenues at the upper end of its forecast. That will happen on Wednesday. Coca-Cola's fourth quarter profit and revenue expected to grow, helped by strong demand for its zero-sugar sodas, coffees, and waters when it reports earnings on Thursday. When the largest U.S. drug maker, Pfizer, reports fourth quarter earnings on Tuesday, it's expected to provide its forecast for profit in 2020. General Electric Company expected to report a higher fourth quarter profit on Wednesday, helped by lower costs in its aviation unit and rising demand for its health care products. Investors will be looking for comments on free cash flow targets. Meanwhile, Honeywell expected to report an increase in fourth quarter profit on Friday. Harley-Davidson will release its fourth quarter earnings in pre-market hours on Tuesday. The motorcycle maker expected to report lower earnings. Starbucks expected to report an increase in first quarter sales on Tuesday. Eli Lilly expected to post fourth quarter earnings on Thursday, while investors focus on comments over the impact to sales of its diabetes drug, Trulicity, from the recent launch of Novo Nordisk's rival treatment. Focus will also be on sales of Lilly migraine treatment. MasterCard, the world's second largest payments processor, will be reporting its fourth quarter results on Wednesday. And so we go. Grain trader Archer Daniels Midland will report fourth quarter results on Thursday. That will come after the market closes. And we're going to get reports from a lot of the petroleum companies next week as well. New home sales in the U.S. expected to have seen an uptick in December to an annual rate of 730,000 units. That's what they're expecting in that report due out on Monday.
Well, I'm sure you wrote all of those companies down and will be watching with interest the earnings reports from those companies. We'll talk agriculture when Max Armstrong joins us on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Brian Split is in the chair with us this weekend from agmarket.net. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me, Max. Well, we're still looking at uh, a little bit of volatility in the market we have been in the recent days. The finalization of phase one. I say finalization. The uh, announcement, the signing with a lot of details yet hanging out there, fulfillment hanging out there, was greeted by the market uh, to the surprise of some who farm. In a negative fashion, was it simply a, looking back at that, was it simply a, a matter of buy the rumor and sell the fact? Or was it just disappointment there wasn't more detail? I think there's a, a couple nuances to that, Max. Uh, there's a, The easy answer is the buy the rumor, sell the fact. And I, I do think that there's an element of that in, in the way the market handled things. We did rally into the announcement. Um, so it's not like the market uh, was at a low level and then sold off further. We did rally considerably from the December lows in soybean futures coming into this. But uh, we also have a, a crop in Brazil that is uh, getting bigger as we speak. Um, last estimates that I've been privy to are 123 to 126 million tons of production in Brazil. Uh, for uh, reference, our largest U.S. soybean crop is about 120 million tons. So um, we've got a large crop that's going to be online down there. And uh, I think you know, there's been some talk from the Chinese side saying, you know, we're not going to increase our import quotas to meet uh, a dollar amount in value. So uh, I think that kind of reinforces the idea that they will buy what they need to buy when it makes economical sense. That had a little bit of a chilling effect, I guess, on the enthusiasm, the fact that they would buy for their needs and uh, not more than that. Right. And so we know that right now uh, we've had the global impact from African swine fever. And so the question then becomes, uh, when will their hog herd uh, be back online to the capacity that it was previously? How long does that take? And it's going to be really hard to justify uh, China being aggressive with soybean purchases uh, to feed their, their hog herd unless they have a separate idea of uh, attempting to really build their their state reserves, and that's yet to be seen. And the hopes that they would be buying a significant amount of corn from us were uh, dashed a little bit by the cancellation of their uh, ambitious ethanol plants, correct? Well, right. So some of that volatility that we had last week uh, was centered around the buy the rumor, sell the fact, uh, and, and that kind of it found its way into the corn market. But then we had rumors the very next day that there was some business done out of the PNW and two to four cargoes of corn was purchased by China. Uh, we, we've yet to see any confirmation that it was China. And I've also read that it, it actually penciled out for South Korea or Japan to purchase corn. So uh, somebody did purchase some corn out of the PNW and we can't deny that. Uh, but uh, as far as the ethanol hopes go, I, I 
you know, China's one of those things I don't really trust what they say. Uh, did, did they really nix this program to, to really build their ethanol uh, and, and get that infrastructure going? I don't know. That's what they said they did. Or did but, they say that to drive down the price of corn? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so I, I think a lot of times when China says something, you can almost immediately think the opposite. And what about wheat? Have they been buying wheat here of late? So wheat's the market right now that has the uh, the strongest uptrend going, and uh, wheat will probably be a benefactor of the trade deal at some point. But we do have other things going on. Uh, we've got a, a supply globally that is uh, getting smaller as time goes by. Uh, we've got a, a player in the wheat market globally, Pakistan, that is having a wheat crisis right now. Um, and so it's very important for them to have enough wheat. Their, their diet there uh, consumes a lot of flour-based products. And so they recently had to come in and purchase wheat uh, when they – over the last several years have made an effort to not only feed their own people but become a wheat exporter. So they haven't done a very good job. They don't have a very good infrastructure internally to store wheat. So you've got a country that is caught short of wheat supplies right now. Uh, you've got Australia that, that is having concerns. Uh, so we've got more than just the trade war story that is helping wheat. Uh, and and uh, we found out on the January report that uh, our winter wheat plantings are the lowest in over a decade. So that doesn't help the scenario either. Yeah, lowest in, since, uh, what, 1909? Fewest seeded wheat acres, I think, to, since 1909. The thing that I wonder about, though, would, would we see a significant increase in spring wheat acreage this year? The market would have to continue to climb, would it not, to pull some acres into spring wheat uh, in the northern part of the country this year? Especially since some of those fields are still sitting out there with corn in them. <laughs> right, and that's going to be a, a big question question is, you know, what gets planted anyway in in the far north because of the idea of how wet it is and and will it continue to be wet enough to really uh, expect a a large amount of prevent plant in in the northern plains. But uh, to me, I I look at this uh, spring wheat chart and it's at the upper constraints of the recent price levels that we've seen. Uh, I see the continuous wheat chart as having a possible head and shoulder bottom and it could lead to significantly higher values. Uh, and if we see that type of move happen in the short term, uh, then I do think that we would see the idea that, yes, spring wheat acres, at least the intentions, could increase in the next several months. If you take a look at uh, the talk about corn planted acreage this spring, it's a big number, isn't it? I mean, we'd have a lot of corn to work our way through, right, Brian? We would, yes. and uh, Assuming I, a good crop. I, I don't believe that soybean values have done their job to take acres back from corn. And we've seen the price that it costs to grow corn as far as inputs come down. And so when you look at the potential for growing 94 to 95 million acres of corn, and we know that come the May WASDE report, the USDA will be using a trend line yield, which is going to be somewhere in the ballpark of 177 to 178 bushels per acre. Um, and, and one of the concerns is that the USDA back in October had those baseline projections that they released. And so they used 94 and a half million acres. They used a, a 178 yield But their demand was also about 800 million bushels above the demand that we have plugged in for this current balance sheet. And carryout was still 2.75 billion bushels. So if we end up having a a larger-than-trend crop, or even if we just try to price that in on that amount of acres and that demand isn't there, 
we'll have potential conversations next August of a three billion bushel or higher carryout. Uh, now, I do personally believe that the disappearance on our old crop between January and June uh, will be larger than normal, uh, so that should help that scenario. But uh, we are focusing right now with our clients on working on profitability and uh, making sure that producers are aware of, of what four dollar or four hundred five corn means to their operation. We've uh, almost grown accustomed to negative uh, bearish USDA reports, haven't we? I mean, is that setting us up perhaps uh, one of these days, one of these days when we get a report that could really, really be perceived as friendly? We're going into so many of these reports. We've had one after another, it seems like, where the reports uh, have been disappointing to the producers. So you can take that, uh, and and then there's good with the bad, Uh, right? So I, I would say the last bullish report the USDA gave us was the June WASDE report where they reduced the expectations of our yield by 10 bushels per acre, uh, which reduced our expected supply or our production by about 1.2 billion bushels, yet they only reduced the demand by about 400 million bushels. So that was a bullish report, but we also made highs uh, centered right around that report. Uh, Ever since then, we really haven't had what I would say is a, you know, knock your socks off while that number was friendly. But yet we've seen positive reactions in the market to negative reports. And I think this January report would be the last example of that where the carryout came in higher than the trade had expected. Uh, although it, it, the carryout didn't increase, it did come down, but not enough to where the trade was, was pricing in. And the market immediately went down on that number, but then came back swiftly. So uh, I think that shows resilience to the market and that uh, there are value uh, buyers in here, uh, for example, around 375 to 380 on the March contract that are here to support uh, corn prices where they lie. While it isn't an official USDA report, the numbers that come out of the Ag Outlook Forum every year are very closely watched because USDA plugs in some assumptions there, do they not, Brian? And that's just a few weeks away. They do, and uh, you know, much like the the baseline numbers that uh, we were uh, ta- just talking about from October, um, they're not entirely accurate, but it is a little bit of a roadmap on uh, kind of a, a shot across the bow, if you will, of potentially what the USDA is thinking. And uh, those numbers will change when we get to the May WASDE report. But uh, it it is a number that the market will look at and it will react to it. And it'll just be another little piece of the puzzle that the market digests. Back to South America for just a moment. Early reports coming in. I think they came in from the state of Mato Grosso showed the early soybean harvest, and I know this is very early in the game, but the early harvest was trailing the progress of a year ago. Are you going to watch very closely that progress of harvest down there? Maybe maybe more so than usual, just to see what happens with that uh, corn acreage in that second crop that is planted down there. Correct, and, and it is so early in, in their harvest to uh, say, hey, we're really concerned about it right now, but it is a story that could potentially develop, and, and you're right, Max. So what will happen is if that harvest remains delayed, uh, that will affect the Safrina corn crop and the acres that are, are planted towards that crop. And so we have seen very strong uh, export programs late in the year for U.S. corn because of a concern about Brazil's corn crop. Uh, and I would also like to say that the the crop that the U.S. has been exporting aggressively has been soybeans over the last several months. And it's no secret that the corn exports have been really, really poor. So uh, I do think that regardless of Brazil's uh, crop, 
we're going to see corn exports look a lot better as we get into the um, the next several months and, and getting into the uh, the second and third quarter of the of the marketing year. Uh, but if we have a problem with Brazil's corn, that will only help that story uh, even further. Brian, summarize the uh, counsel you're giving farmers this winter. Right now, we are really focusing on using the app that we've developed to look at uh, producers' costs. Uh, what does it cost to grow a bushel of corn? What does it cost to grow a bushel of soybeans? Uh, in our app, we can uh, use this to test strategies to see what kind of revenue we would be locking in on a per acre basis. And we really want to focus on on the profit that's there, not the price. $4, 405 uh, December corn does not mean the same thing to everybody. So uh, we want to think ahead. Uh, traditionally, over the last several years, we've seen lows that were made in spring that have been as low as the low to mid 360s on December corn. And we want to be in a position of, of strength. If we end up making lows down there, we can think about, hey, should we be rolling out to July to capture carry? Uh, should we be putting some money in, in the account from our hedges than just sitting there with our fingers crossed, hoping the market goes back up. Agmarket.net, right, Brian? That is correct, agmarket.net. Brian Split, thank you, sir. Good to see you. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. In other agricultural news this week, Bayer said today it has reached an agreement with plaintiff's lawyers to postpone a Missouri jury trial over allegations that its popular weed killer Roundup causes cancer and their doing that to provide room for negotiations to settle the litigation. While Bayer is constructively engaged in the mediation process, there is no comprehensive agreement at this time, according to a company spokesman. There also is no certainty or timetable for a comprehensive resolution But the one question that I think everybody knows, it's going to be an expensive process for Monsanto and Bayer. And it's probably difficult for us to understand the impact in China of what's happening because the Lunar New Year, the biggest annual celebration in China, is underway And China has shut part of the Great Wall and suspended public transport in 10 cities, stranding millions of people at the start of the Lunar New Year's holiday as authorities are rushing to contain a virus that continues to kill more people and infect more people every day. So add that now to the concern over the important menu item for the lunar holiday, which is pork. And we know what China has gone through in the pork situation, losing half of its hog herd because of African swine fever. So let's move on to look at the market activity here in the agricultural markets in the week just ending. 
Soybean futures hit their lowest level in more than six weeks today. Again, the concern over coronavirus. Corn and wheat futures also weakened as the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention confirmed that second U.S. case of the new virus in Chicago. So as we take a look at closing prices and where we'll start the trade next Monday, totally red sheet on my Board of Trade market report. March wheat futures dropped eight and three quarters cents today, closing at five dollars seventy-three and a quarter cents. The March corn contract down seven cents, closing at three eighty-seven and a quarter. March soybeans down seven and a quarter, ending the day at nine dollars and two cents a bushel. So we'll be starting in the trade on Monday at uh, much lower uh, prices than we've seen in the last week or so. And uh, we do have a quote from John Payne, senior futures and options broker for Daniels Trading in Chicago, saying there has been a bearish supply news out of South America because of a monster Brazilian crop. But I think the majority of the selling of late is coming again from the Chinese coronavirus story. Today we did get a cattle on feed report pretty much in line with uh, what traders were expecting. And at the end of the day, the um, February live cattle contract uh, was up 27 cents at $124.85 a hundredweight. Well, once again, the time has gone all too quickly, but there's been a lot to talk about. Thank you for joining us, and we'll look for you again next week on The Markets. <music>